Well, join me, if you would, once again in our study of the book of Zechariah. We're in Zechariah chapter 14 tonight, and we're going to read the first four verses of Zechariah 14. It's, uh, it's just been a delight to go through this book. It's the gospel according to Zechariah, as the Holy Spirit gave him words to write, message to write, and we are privileged to read it and to enjoy it and appreciate it. It's encouragement to the church. It's a warning, but it's encouragement to the church. In verse 1 of chapter 14, we have these words, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem. Now I want us to underline that first word of that verse of Scripture. I, God, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And we find that the Lord shared with us in the New Testament that there must, there must be divisions among us. That's, God has determined that. He's purposed that. And it is truly for sifting out the wheat and removing the chaff. All right, it goes on to tell us here, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. So we have the great victor, the captain of our salvation, coming out and declaring what he will do. And he's going to take care of the city. He's always taken care of Jerusalem in the sense of it's the church. Here is the church is pictured by the name Jerusalem. We find the church pictured by the name Zion. We have the church pictured by the name of the flock, the elect of God. So many ways in the Old Testament, there's a metaphor about that. The mother which is above, speaking about the glories of redemption in Christ, that it brings freedom. And then we have in verse 4, and his feet... This is when he comes to do what he said he would do in verse 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And I might say this right now as we look through this passage of Scripture, that when the Lord comes in any time during his personal ministry, when he comes uh, by the Spirit of God today, He always will bring division. He will separate. He will cleave. He will cleave His from the rest. He will cleave elect from the non-elect. He will separate the sheep from the goats. He's just, that's His business in doing it. And the Gospel does that even today. By the Spirit of God as it's preached out and brought forth to the people, of, we find that there's going to be one of two things are going to happen. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Or they took up stones to kill him. That's the, that's the result of preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no middle ground with the gospel. You're either for it or against it. And if you're not for it, you are against it. And then it says, His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half toward the south, and ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel. Yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled. 
from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the Lord my God shall come and all his saints with thee. Now this is this may have some things with regard to the Lord's coming the, the second time, but more than that, his coming during every age, every generation, every time, when he comes with the power of his gospel, we're going to see similarities to this. Now there in verse uh, verse uh, 2, I will gather all nations against thee. Now, I want to say this before we get into verses 2, 3, and 4 tonight, that every person is either, every person is either where the first Adam left him, dead in trespasses and sin. Every person is either in Adam, left in Adam, or else is joined to Christ as the second Adam, for there is no escaping from the first Adam's position unless and but by the second Adam's salvation. That's the only thing that will separate us out of the first Adam's position. And we're all born into the first Adam's position, dead in trespasses and sin. And it takes the grace of God to get us out of that position. We're going to be reading about that in this passage of Scripture. For an Adam all die. That is just the word of God. Will not flinch from that. All die. Now it's a discussion goes on all the time about what that word die means in that verse of scripture. What death means in the scriptures when it comes to spiritual things. But we know, when the Holy Spirit reveals to us, we know just how dead we were. Or we have some comprehension of it at least. That we were unable to do anything that would procure the salvation that God has for his people. We, we can't vote for it. We can't acknowledge it. We have no way of having it in our favor until God gives us the new birth. And then we realize what He it took for him to save us from the condition that we're in. We find in Galatians chapter 4. Would you turn there with me for just a short reading? We've, we refer to this often. It's a glorious passage of Scripture. It's so explanatory of the position that we have where we find ourselves in the world by nature, where we find ourselves in the world by the Spirit of God. By nature, we're going to find ourselves in this bondage. We are bound by darkness. We are held by darkness. We we have a, a blindness to the Scriptures. And it says here, as it is written... Verse 22 of Galatians chapter 4, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. Now, that whole passage of Scripture that we've been going over in Numbers chapter 14 is brought up in the New Testament as a a sign, a a signal, a presentation to us to be mindful of ourselves that lest we, like them, be found in a disobedient stance against God. Those folks that we read about there in the 14th chapter, 13th and 14th chapter of the book of Numbers, those 10 tribes represent those who are yet in Adam, those who are without Christ. And they demonstrate that. And Paul brings up about that these things were done for our admonition, for our instruction. Well, <clears throat> here we find in this passage of Scripture, in verse 13, but he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he who was the free woman was by promise. There's those two positions. The one position in Adam, the other position in Christ. We are either bondmen or we are free women. And only Christ can set us free. 
which things are an allegory. Here's an instruction that took place, even though it was so many thousands of years ago, there in the Old Testament, Abraham, book of Genesis, book of beginnings, we have this, this uh, uh, mentioned, and it's brought up here in the book of Galatians by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, and says, these things were done as an allegory. They're a picture, they're a type and a shadow. For, uh, for these are the two covenants. The one is the covenant of works, the other is the covenant of grace. One we find ourselves in, born into by Adam. We're either in the first Adam, left there, left where he is, or we're either in the covenant of grace, in freedom and in peace in Christ. This is the allegory of these two covenants. Now this is going to enter into our study tonight, so we want to go over it. The one from Mount Sinai, the uh, that which gendereth bondage, which is Agar, and this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and it answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. <clears throat> this is the religious Jerusalem. This is the religion of the world. This is even the religion that God had for the children of Israel in the Old Testament. But they were captivated in their own minds by the works-oriented position that they could read into it. But that's not what God's people saw in all of that. They saw Christ in Him crucified. And then it tells us, But Jerusalem which is above is free, which is the mother of us all. So there's freedom in Christ. We are brought to that position of liberty in the covenant of grace in the second Adam. We're only brought out of that position that we had. We're only escaped from that position we had in the first Adam and the ruins of it by the second Adam's salvation. He's the only one that is able to do that. So we see this demonstrated metaphorically in our passage of Scripture in verse 2, going back to the book of Zechariah, chapter 14 and verse 2. I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken. Now here is those that are left in Adam. They are going to be used by the Lord to come against the church, to come against Jerusalem. They're going to be used even though they are in Adam. They're left there. Uh, you know, we may say that some of those might even be as Saul of Tarsus. We don't know. But from the outward appearance, they all appear the same. They come up against Jerusalem. They come up against Jerusalem with all kinds of foreign doctrine. They come up with, uh, against Jerusalem with all kinds of, uh, of false religion, falsehoods. It says there, and they're gonna, uh, the houses will be rifled and the women ravished, and half the city shall go through into cap forth into captivity. But the residue, the remnant, the people shall not be cut off of the city then the Lord shall go forth. Now, we have demonstrated here this, this picture that is brought up by uh, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians. We have this group and we have this group. We have the right hand and we have the left hand. We have the elect and we have the non-elect. We have those coming up against Jerusalem. We have those in Jerusalem. And it says that half of those are going to be carried off. There's going to be a remnant according to the election of grace. There's an onslaught against the church, and this is constantly going on. It went on in the Old Testament. It went on during the times of Christ. It has gone on in our times. There's an onslaught, a constant attack against the truth of the gospel. There's a constant attack against the church, and it looks hopeless at times. Here, it looks hopeless. My goodness, if you are Jerusalem, and you see this onslaught of 
of uh, untruth, the onslaught of a false gospel, the onslaught of that's not right. Uh, you must be circumcised in order to be saved. As this goes on and on, and yet it looks maybe hopeless, and yet we find that it is the Lord that is going to come, as it shares with us there in that second and third verse. Then shall the Lord go forth. Now this is such a common thing throughout the scriptures. We're going to see the conflict. We're going to see the, the power of the flesh against the spirit. We're going to see rising up against the church. We're going to see this constantly. And as Jesus said, he came not to bring peace, but he came to bring division. Father against daughter, and mother against son, and brother against brother, and so forth. The gospel comes, there is a natural separation. It will not be at peace. I have several in my family that claim to be religious, but when it comes to talking about Christ, it is absolutely, we don't want to go there. Is I'll talk to you about my religion, I'll talk to you about the people we fed, I'll talk to you about all that stuff, but when it comes to talking about Christ, there's no interest in it. And that's just sad, but that's the way it is. I was in the same boat. I didn't want to talk about the Lord either. I didn't want to hear Henry. I didn't want, I said, I hate that man. Well, it's scriptural to hate someone who brings you the truth. Oh, I found, I think I mentioned that, Malkia. Ahab said, I hate him. He's always telling the truth. I hate that man. <laughs> well, that's the thing about someone who tells the truth. People are going to hate him. Well, turn with me, if you would, back to the book of Second Chronicles, an incident of God's salvation, as demonstrated here in the book of Zechariah. It looks like the end. It likes, looks like it's going to be overcome. It looks like, and then we hear the Lord's words, you're not going to destroy the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. It will not happen. It will always be here. The gospel will always be here. Well, over in the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 20, Second Chronicles chapter 20, we have a similarity to this passage of Scripture. It is brought out, chapter 20, I'm going to begin reading with verse 1, that there's always going to be something coming up against Israel. And if we look at Israel, if we look at Jerusalem as the church, now here, it's an actual people. But again, it's a metaphor. It's a picture. It's a type and a shadow. It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them all other besides the Ammonites, came also Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea, on this side of Syria, and behold, they be in Hezazon Tamar, which is in Jedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. It doesn't look good. In fact, it looks overwhelming. Can you imagine what it is when the church actually becomes under physical attack? As it was in the days of Saul of Tarsus, when he came and drug people out of assemblies, when he came and took people out of their homes that professed Christ, that believed the gospel, that held him as their only Savior and trusted him only, his righteousness and blood was all they were depending upon, and they would be drug out and taken off and imprisoned, and many of them killed? Is it over? Is this the end? Well, we read here, and Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord, even out of all the cities of Judah, 
they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art thou, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thy hand there is there no power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? Not, is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? He's approaching the right source. He's coming before the God that is able to do. Art thou not our God? And didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel? And gave us it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And thou dwelt therein? And they dwelt therein and have built there a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, the same we could say today, those who come up against and say, Jesus Christ actually is a sinner. Jesus only procured justification at the cross. And if you don't believe it, you can't be saved. If you don't believe in the flat earth, you're not saved. All of this goes on and on. Pestilence trials, tribulation, famine, stand before this house, and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. And now behold the children of Ammon, and Moab, and Mount Seir. Boy, we could just name people today that are coming up against the church of God. It's happened 200 years ago, it happened 400 years ago, it happened 600 years ago, it's happening today. Coming up against the church. You know, if we lived two, three, four hundred years ago and we stood like God intends His church to stand and He will hold them and uh, support them in it, you could be out there on a stack of briars having your feet burn and the rest of you consumed. We haven't got to that point in our country yet. We don't know what's going to happen, but there's a possibility. It goes on to say, Behold, I, in verse 11, I say, how they reward us and come and cast out of, of, of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. You gave it to us. The onslaught is against us. Zechariah chapter 14. The onslaught. Oh, the terrible things that are taking place. Then verse 14, upon Jeziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattiah, and Levite of the sons of Asaph came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. We got somebody who knows something. Why? Because God gives it to him. We have someone who has given the Spirit of God. You know why he's got all those names right there? It's just to remind us that this man is the son of Adam, just like the rest of us. There's no difference except what we read right there. The Spirit of the Lord is in the midst of the congregation. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And he said, Hearken ye all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, everybody, including the king, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. How glorious are words. This man who was given information, he knew something. God had spoken to him by the Spirit that God would protect his own people. He would protect the church. It would stand. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah 
And the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God in Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, and so shall ye prosper. What's that saying? Believe his word. Trust his word. The prophets have given his word. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers. Can you imagine at a time like this that we're going to sing songs of praise? Yes. The Lord has promised to be with his people. He would not lose one. He would never leave us nor forsake us. He will have mercy upon us. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and they shall praise the beauties of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, Praise the Lord, for he, his mercy endureth forever. There in the front of the army, what does that tell us about this? The army is going out for one reason, walking out there. They're not going into battle. The battle is the Lord's. We're going to have a, a really joyous day here because they're magnifying the holiness of the Lord. And when they begun to sing and to praise the Lord, said ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. And when Judah came toward the watch, toward the uh, watchtower in the wilderness, they looked into the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. What a picture that God gives us here in the book of Second Chronicles. An onslaught is headed our way. We have this great uh, uh, assault uh, coming our way. Those who do not believe the gospel, those who do not believe Christ, those who do not believe God. And in the middle of that, someone was raised up. This, this king, he says, uh, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And the Lord won the battle. A man who knew something, who was given the message by the Lord, says, don't be disheartened. The battle is not ours. The battle is the Lord's. Then, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations. One of my favorite verses of Scripture that has become is found in Psalm 44. We read it Sunday. It was read once again Sunday. But in Psalm 44 and verse 3, we have this wonderful verse of Scripture about, uh, I mentioned tonight on that uh, Zoom meeting, I've been looking for a wonderful commentary on the book of Joshua. And I found it. And it's one verse of Scripture. This is a commentary on the book of Joshua. It says here in Psalm 44 and verse 3, it says, For they got not the land in possession by their own sword, neither did their own arms save them. What a commentary on the book of Joshua and what a commentary on our own salvation. We didn't get it by our power. We didn't get it by our sword, by our arm. We weren't saved that way. We weren't delivered that way. But here is the way. But thy right hand, speaking about God's right hand, and thy arm 
and the light of thy countenance, because thou hast a favor unto them. He had his people marked out before the foundation of the world. He had his eye on them. He had favor towards them. The covenant of grace was for them, and they shall not perish. He shall save every last one of them. And in in our... Uh, uh, just jump over to the book of Joshua for a moment. In the book of Joshua here, uh, Joshua chapter uh, 24, last chapter of the book of Joshua, and there in verse 12, look at this little little thing that God used to run a bunch of people out of the land that he had given to the children of Israel. And now, we all know about this little critter. He can run us off too. A hornet. I sent a hornet. Doesn't take but one for me to get to move it. I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword, nor with thy bow. I sent the hornet. Well, I'm thankful that it's God's hornet. God uses it for His glory. And he lets us know that it's not us. It's not our sword and it's not our bow that he uses. He uses his word. He uses a still, small voice. Well, in the book of Zechariah, chapter 4, we went over this some time ago, but in the book of Zechariah, chapter 4, as we think about that great onslaught coming to Jerusalem, is there going to be some help? Well, we find that the Lord's going to come. Yes, that's the help. But as we look at this, there in Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4, and there in verse 6. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6, we read these words. It says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel. I'll send a hornet. The battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. Well, here in this passage of Scripture, he says, this is the way we will win. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. That's how the battle will be won. The Lord will win the battle. He will win the battle over our own stubbornness, our lostness, our deafness. He will win the battle. And this continues on in, in the Second Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it's always good to read the entire verse because I have, I have not paid as close of attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as I should. I've often quoted this, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, and that's a lot. <laughs> we have this treasure in earthen vessels. It's not only the, the Pharisees whitewash the inside, excuse me, the outside, but inwardly was dead men's bones. And the Lord, through the Apostle Paul, says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Well, that's wonderful. But read the rest of the verse. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. What a glorious statement. It just, it reveals, the word reveals how God does his business. Now we have, in Zechariah chapter 14, we have a great onslaught coming against Jerusalem. We have great things going on, sad things. Even in our day, sad things. Folks that 
we thought knew better. And yet they bring it up damnable heresies. Serious things that are not pleasing to God. And yet we find, as we read here, the treasures in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may have be God and not of us. Go back with me, if you would, to the book of Romans. And along this same line, we have this passage of Scripture given to us for our encouragement, lest we get raised up above our stature. Lord, humble us. Here in the book of, of Romans chapter 9, and verse 16, 9, 16. So then, it is not of him that willeth. That deals with free will to the core. I quoted this to a young man, and I got the normal reaction. Yeah, but. That's the normal reaction to this verse of Scripture or other verses of Scripture that declare God alone. So then is not of he that not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. And he's already said, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but God that showeth mercy. In Zechariah chapter 14, going back over there, in Zechariah chapter 14, we saw what the Lord was going to do. Zechariah chapter 14, we read there in verse 3, then shall the Lord go forth. We got a terrible situation. You know, so often in the book of Revelation, we've got a situation we just don't know how to handle, and the next thing we find out, here comes the Lord. That's just the way it happens. He's going to take care of His people. He does that all the way. The book of Acts. Look at this. We've got a sad, oh, and the Lord comes along and takes care of it. We can't take care of it ourselves, but He takes care of it for us. That's the way it happens. He's going to have someone come along who knows something and say, the battle is not yours, but the Lord's. Every day. All right? Verse 4. The, or verse 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations. And when he fought, in the day, as when he fought in the day of battle. Now the Lord is a serious one in battle. You know, the Lord is the only one that can ever say, I have won every battle. Every battle, not one. I am all-powerful, I'm omnipotent, and I will not lose. And the church says, that's what we want. We don't want someone that's going to lose, oh, win 99 out of 100. No, we need 100 out of 100. And that's this God, all-powerful, able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Our ways are not His ways. As far as the heaven is above the earth are His ways above our ways. So He's not going to deal with things as we think He will deal with things. He's going to deal with things as He deals with things. And here He says, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations. 
Well, when the Lord goes into battle, he will be successful in every battle. He's never lost a, uh, I hate, maybe that's the best word, a battle against one of his sheep. The resistance has been insurmountable, but he's not going to lose. The resistance of the lost man's will is insurmountable. It cannot be overcome by natural uh, things. We cannot bring it out of its out of its very nature. We can't talk it out. We can't preach it out. We cannot teach it out. We cannot experiment it out. We cannot ex- example it out. It is just the way it is. And then the Lord comes and saves for His glory and His honor and praise. And the person that the Lord saves says, thank you, Lord, for overcoming all of that insurmountable stuff that I had against you. The Bible calls it enmity. And it's serious. Hatred for God. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. A number of times in the Scriptures we find things said about the feet of the Lord. How glorious, how blessed are the feet of him that preaches the gospel. It's interesting that Mary there got his feet. How glorious. This this one. Well, as we look at this, we find that he's going to be glorious in battle. Either way, it goes, he will get the glory. And by that I mean, turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We're going to read the part that normally is not read. The last few verses, 32 through 40. These are the last verses. The beginning of this chapter just starts out, By faith Abel, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, by faith Sarah, by faith. And that's God-given faith. It's not their faith, it's the faith of God's elect, given to them by the Lord. But in the latter part of this, we read beginning with verse 32. Now all those, it says, it says, And what shall I say more more say? For the time would fail to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David also and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, and stopped the mouths of lions. You know, we could just say, yeah, they did that physically, but they also did that spiritually. The gospel stops the mouths of the most adamant people against the gospel. Look at Saul of Tarsus. Now notice verse 35, women received their dead raised to life again, and others, notice this, were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourging. Does that mean the Lord wasn't with them? Of course not. The Lord was with the first group of people in here, and they are also here by faith. God is doing this. They're not losers. If they have the faith of God's elect, they're winners. They're winners when the Lord takes them out of this world. They're winners, whether it's by cruel mocking or, oh, let's just read on here. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. 
They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. These are not those who God has kicked out. These are who God has complete care and trust over. These are his people. He is entering into glory by these means. You know, I've mentioned a number of times, a believer, a true believer, does not fear death. Sometimes we get concerned how that's going to happen. Well, look what's happened to some of these folks. The Lord came, the cruel mockings, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens of caves, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. You know what that means? Through all of these years, no doubt there were people expecting the coming of the Messiah, that this would be the, the coming of the Messiah. They didn't get to see that promise fulfilled. They died before it happened. But there was a generation that got to see the Messiah. They saw the Lord Jesus. And they wanted to kill him. It's interesting in the book of uh, Judges. They just couldn't wait to get be like other people and have a king. When the king came, they didn't want him. Oh, we don't want this man to rule over us. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. What is it? We're one body together. This is the church being spoken of here. And so the Lord brought great deliverance to some and look what happened to others. But in the end, they were all presented before the throne of grace spotless. Spotless. Without any sin whatsoever. If we have God-given faith, it is because God is pleased to give us faith. In every age, Christ coming in power of His Word, the Gospel has been brought, and a division has been brought by the Word. Now, it mentions here in verse 4 of the book of Zechariah, chapter 14, of Mount Olives. Mount Olives. Well, let's just look at a few verses in the New Testament that bring up the same mount. We have four minutes left. We will not get it all done. (laughs) But we want to look just a little bit. Would you look with me here in the book of John chapter 7? The Mount of Olives is going to be split in half. That, this is it's significant. Many things happened at the Mount of Olives. Physically, speaking of spiritual blessings that are spoken of with Mount Olives. The Lord spent a lot of time there. Here in the book of John, John chapter, John chapter 7, verse 37. John chapter 7, verse 37. It says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Out of the Scriptures, Old Testament. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believed on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Many of the people, therefore, when they had heard the saying, said of a truth, this is a prophet. And others said, this is the Christ. 
But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ shall come of, cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. How often this is going to happen when the Lord is in the midst of people. A division is going to take place. And some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands upon him. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have you not brought him in? The officers said, Never man spake like this man. Then answered them to the Pharisees, Are ye deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Nicodemus saith unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, doth our law judge any man before he hear him, and know what he doeth? And they answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth the prophet. And every man went to his own house. Now as we follow this, we're going to see that when the Lord goes to the Mount of Olives, he's going to bring division. He always brings division. In families, in churches. I remember a story of Ralph Barnard was invited to go to a church, and he said, you don't want me. And he says, why not? He says, when I come down and preach the gospel, it's going to split that church. The gospel has split churches. The gospel has broken up families. There's going to be a division. Now his feet, his glorious feet, are going to touch the Mount of Olives, and it's going to cleave. It's going to split. Not literally, spiritually. He's going to bring a division. Well, in Matthew chapter 21, this will be our last reading. Matthew chapter 21. And verse 1. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 1. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethpage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples. You know, it was from this prominence the Lord sent the disciples to retrieve his donkey that he might ride victoriously into Jerusalem. Hosanna to the king. Hosanna to the king. Saying, go into the village. It's on the Mount of Olives. Go into the village. Over against you and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a cold up with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if any man shall ought unto you, he shall say, The Lord hath need of them. And straightway he will send him. This is going to be a position, a place where the Lord's uh, very glorious activity, the fulfillment of Zechariah, behold your king coming into Jerusalem, riding up on the foal of an ass. The king coming is going to begin here at this very same place where the feet of Jesus are going to touch, and metaphorically, it's going to bring division. We're going to stop there tonight. Our time is up. And we have much more to say, but we can wait till another time.